All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. As we continue our study now through the book of Acts. It is a great chapter that we are about to embark on as we are going to study now the foundations of the church. I titled my study today, The Principles of Ministry. Yes, I did title my study that. (laughs) The Principles of Ministry. And, you know, as a church, we are learning the way Christ set up his church in the beginning, when he was here on earth, how he told them after he was going to be crucified and resurrected that he was going to leave the Holy Spirit to help guide them into all truth so that they can then go out and be messengers of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do. He told them to be messengers there in Jerusalem, their city that they lived in, and then out into Judea, their, their county, their region. And then to Samaria, meaning going out even further, and then to the outermost parts of the world. So the believers were called to spread out and to share that we were not to keep the gospel truth to ourselves alone. But before they could do this, Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes. And they had to be obedient to that and to wait upon the Lord because before they could be sent, they first had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so as they're there, they're waiting in Jerusalem in prayer, they're meeting in the upper room. There's 120 of these disciples of Christ now and they're there praying and suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon them. You guys remember last week we talked about that great mighty wind, that rushing sound came in and it filled the room that they were in and then all of a sudden these uh, tongues of fire were upon each of the disciples and they began speaking in tongues and we went into an in-depth study on the gift of tongues and how it's used to communicate this praise to God. And now they're there being filled with the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. And it's awesome to see God move. And sometimes when God moves in a miraculous way, people who don't understand look at it as if it's strange or weird. So the people who saw the, these tongues being used, they were like, whoa, are these people drunk? What's going on? Like, And then Peter, the leader of the church now, is standing up and he begins to give them a a sermon and to explain to them to preach to these people a gospel message, to explain, look, these people are not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what Joel the prophet talked about when he was saying that upon the, the children, they would see visions and the old men would dream dreams. The Holy Spirit would come upon this generation 
And Peter began to use scripture to back up what was happening in the church. And that's what we are supposed to do in the activities in our life. Can we back it up with scripture? Can we say it it's sound? When we're gonna go do a, a pursuit, when we're gonna go chase a goal, can we back it up with the word of God? Is God leading and guiding us? So we left off as Peter is explaining this to them in Acts chapter two. And we're gonna read, let me see, from verses, excuse me. Let's pick it up from 22. We already read verse, verse 22. But we're going to read from 22 to the end. We're going to read Peter's sermon to them. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before me, before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rejoice, will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence." Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that one of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God had raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to who all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter now, he finishes this gospel message. And he gave them a, a strong rebuke. He said, look, who Jesus, you guys have taken with unlawful hands and crucified them. And in a, the message of, of the gospel, people need to understand and realize that we are sinners. Everyone is a sinner, that we all fail and that we are in need of a savior. He referenced in verses 24 through 28 these words that David was penning, that David was writing, and how David, he had this eternal perspective on the afterlife, that there was an eternity to be lived. And so let's look at verses 29 and 30 again. Peter says, in the beginning of his sermon, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit at his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Look at David. We've been studying First and Second Samuel on Wednesday nights, and we've been studying the, a life character study of David. And he was a man who is known after being a man after God's own heart, but he failed greatly. This past Wednesday, we, we two Wednesdays actually, we saw his great sin with Bathsheba, how he murdered Uriah. And now the Lord had to chasten him. The Lord had to punish him. And God in his justice, he allowed for his first son to die. And there's a, a huge heartbreak in this where you're looking at David and saying, whoa, this is a man who's the leader of Israel, anointed by God, writes all these Psalms, and yet he falls into sin with Bathsheba and murders. But one of the lessons of David is, look how he repents, how he realized that his sin was first and foremost against the Lord. And then once he realizes that God is gracious and forgiving, and he repents. One aspect of God is that he does not leave us and he does not forsake us. We simply need to be open to that love that he wants to pour out on us. And God still used David greatly. See, if God can use men like David, God can use us. We don't have to be the most perfect saint that ever lived in order for God to use you. 
We should strive to be sinless, but we're still gonna sin. But David, he had this eternal perspective that he, his flesh, would not see corruption and that the awesome promise that was given to him when he asked to build the temple. God said, no, I'm not gonna let you build a temple, but I'm gonna do this for you, David. I'm gonna build you a house. And from your family, you're gonna have the Messiah and his reign will be forever. And so David, he would write about the Messiah who was to come and that's Jesus. In verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. See, Jesus had a testimony while alive, right? He had his own self-witness, what he proclaimed, the truth. And then he also had miracles that were happening in his life. He would perform this miracle and say, look, even the miracles are showing that I'm from God. Now, a lot of times people will look at Jesus They'll hear about him and they'll say, you know what? Well, I don't really know about this Jesus guy. You know, I think he was just a good man. I think he was a, you know, a prophet, somebody who was uh, great in our world, who had a historical impact, but not God. I don't believe Jesus was God, but I, th I think he was a good man. That's what people will say sometimes. Well, if you ever hear anyone say that, just jump right into that conversation with this response. I want you to explain to people that, look, Jesus can't be just a good man. Jesus has to either be a liar, he has to be a lunatic, or he has to be Lord. One of those three options. Because if Jesus proclaimed to be God, according to the Bible, if he proclaimed to be God, that would mean, like I said, that he was either lying to all those masses of people saying that he was God when he wasn't. And if he's lying about being God, I don't, wouldn't consider him to be this great man. If anybody today in our world, we were to see them go and proclaim to be God, we wouldn't consider them to be this great historical figure or a good prophet. He could either be crazy, meaning he thought he was God when he wasn't, and he was in his craziness just drawing all these crowds to him. So people could say he was either a liar or a lunatic, or that he is who he says he was, which is Lord. So now, this Jesus man, he's the fully God, fully man. We're all witnesses his divinity. In verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Remember, I, I was explaining how Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit? That it, it would be better for them that if Jesus was to leave this world so that he could send the Holy Spirit who would guide us into all truth. 
In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, it says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. See, Jesus has our assurity of even salvation. We have this symbol in our life, this sign in our life that is pointing to the fact that we are going to enter into salvation. And that symbol, not just a symbol, but that sign is the Holy Spirit in our life. When we see the Holy Spirit in our life, we know that salvation, that eternity is on its way. In verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. See, David, Peter's quoting what he said in Scripture because Jesus quoted what David said in Scripture. I love it when Jesus quotes Old Testament Scriptures because I know, well, if Jesus says that the Old Testament says this, then I know that it's true. We can look at that. But Peter, the reason why he brings this certain passage up is because Jesus brought it up. In Matthew's gospel, remember when Jesus was there with the Pharisees? He asked them, how is it that David can be called a descendant of the Messiah, a descendant of the Lord? In verse, I'll read some verses actually to you from Matthew's gospel. You don't need to turn there. This is the Pharisees have gathered around Jesus and they asked, he asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the Pharisees, the son of David. So Jesus says to them, how then does David in the spirit, call him Lord, call the Messiah Lord, saying the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Not from that day on did anyone dare ask him a question anymore. See, this is what Jesus is explaining here, because this is kind of, when I first came across this passage, it took me a while to fully understand why, why would Jesus bring up David saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Now in our Bibles, whenever we see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, it refers to Jehovah. That's Jehovah God, Lord. 
And then when you see uh, the other Lord, which is the capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, that's Adonai, Lord, both referring to deity, but one in particular referring to the, the Father Messiah, Jehovah, I'm sorry, the Father, Jehovah, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. And then the other one, the Messiah. So Jesus brings up this question. He's saying, how is David going to call the Messiah, who's supposed to be David's son, Lord? And here's why that's a weird thing. In their culture, in Jewish culture, it would not be proper for a grandfather to call their descendants Lord. It's the same way uh, in reverse, a young person wouldn't say, call uh, in the Hispanic language, and sorry, in Spanish, when you say usted, right? It's proper. There's a proper language when you are talking to your elders. Now in reverse, the grandpa doesn't call his grandson usted. And so that same premise right here, you see, David wouldn't have called his descendant Lord, but David did call his descendant Lord. And why did he do that? It was because he knew that the Messiah, he was prophesying that the Messiah was going to not only be human, but also God. The Jews to this day, they don't believe that when their Messiah comes, because they're waiting for their Messiah to come, that he's going to be God. They believe he's just going to be a man like them. So when they see Jesus, the Jews who do not believe in Jesus as God, they look at him as just a man who caused this rebellion against Rome and was killed. Now in verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So this is now the, the next step that Peter gives these people as he's preaching to them. They receive the word. And they're saying, what, well, what do we do? Because they were cut to the heart. They heard this conviction. They felt it in their life. And Peter said, okay then, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. You see, uh, as Christians, sometimes we think of repentance as something that we don't want to do. We're like, oh, I don't, it's, it's a bad thing. It means that we're sinning. But as believers, as we mature, you're going to find that you repent more and more and we're supposed to sin less and less. But our repentance continues. We don't become perfect as we grow. We just realize how much of sinners we really are and how much more we need God's grace in our life. So we are to be baptized, both by water baptism, both by uh, 
the Holy Spirit baptism. What's baptism? It's that symbol of dying to self. You see, when the person goes under the water, then when they're submerged, that's symbolic of death, to be laid into the grave. And when they come back up, that's the new life. So you're dying to yourself, and you're given this new life in Christ. You know, Jesus commands for us to be baptized. It's symbolic. It's the outward expression of an inward change. Now, baptism is not required for salvation. Remember the the thief on the cross who was there with Jesus. He repented while he was on the cross with Jesus. The other one mocked Jesus. And he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, when you go into paradise, remember me. And he said, I tell you this day, Jesus tells the thief, that this day you will be in paradise with me. See, he didn't tell him that, okay, well, before you get to enter into heaven, you have to get off the cross, go get baptized, and come back. No. See, that person, that thief, he was saved by grace through faith. And it's not of works. So, understand that baptism is important. And as I'm reminded of of baptism, I'm reminded that you guys need to be baptized too. So I'm planning this summer on one day we're going to go to the beach. And if you'd like to be baptized, we're going to do baptisms. And I think it's important for us to do. Um, I didn't get baptized right away when I got saved. I got saved, and then it was maybe like a a year and some months later, and I got baptized for the first time. Because remember, it's the outward expression of the inward change. Something has already happened to me, but now I'm making a public declaration of it. So let's watch now as these converts, they're repenting. What happens when the church begins to grow? Give verse 40. It says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And isn't that fitting for today? I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, this life that we're surrounded by, we're not supposed to look like the world does, like the non-believers do. We're supposed to look more and more like Jesus. We're not supposed to find our full identity and what this world has to offer. Because what this world has to offer is temporary. But what Christ has to offer, that's eternal. So we need to find our identity in Christ. And as we find our identity in Christ, he allows us to see the gifts that he's instilled in us. 
the call that he lays ahead of us. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the, of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. See, as believers, we're not to love this world more than anything related to God. We put God first, then we put other people first, and then ourselves. This life is so temporary. I think in our life decisions, sometimes when we get caught up in the anxiety or anger or rage, all these different things, they can simply be settled by putting on that eternal perspective of what really matters in the long run. In verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is the first great revival right here. You see, remember in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it talked about how there was 120 of them gathered already and how Peter stood up in the midst of them. So, that's at that point a fairly medium sized church, 120 people. And after this preaching, it says that 3,000 were added. So now you have 3,120, and probably more than that. It's like, whoa, that's a big church. You see, it didn't matter when they just had 120 people, just 120 converts. It wasn't about the numbers. And then when 3,000 people were added to the church, praise the Lord. But they didn't cause the people to say, well, this amount of number of people that are being added to the church is too many. You see, we are to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. We can't put God inside of a box. Whether God wants to work in a small fellowship that happens inside of a living room or in the big mega churches, God still wants to work. You see, in both situations, there's still sinners and you're still going to have men who fail. You're still going to have people who use holiness and use the Bible for their own means of gain. But we, may we not become so divisive over those things, over the numbers. It says in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. 
if you have something to highlight your Bible with, something to underline your Bible with. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 would be that verse to do it. See, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it gives us the principles of ministry, of godly ministry in our own life, in the ministry of the church. You see, this is right here the model of what the early church gave us. And there's four things that it goes over. Things that are they are continuing steadfastly in. They're firm in this decision and in their actions towards these. That first part is that they are steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. So that's the word of God right there. There are men and women who were founded upon the word of God, the law and the prophets. So that's, this is how important it is for us to be in our Bibles. This is how we grow as believers. We need to know the word of God. We need to memorize the word of God. We need to study it to be able to use it and apply it in our lives. You see, you guys can, we can all hear this study today and get the mental knowledge the academia of a Bible study. But then we can go home and then we never apply it. And that's the danger. That's when we begin to, to fail in our spirituality is because we're not letting the word of God change us. We need to let the word of God have its way in our life. I encourage people that they should be reading every day Create a Bible plan, a plan that is going to help you to go through the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation because we need to have the whole counsel of God in our lives. Now, you could take that at any pace. Some people like that one-year Bible. Uh, I personally, I don't like the one-year Bible because I feel guilty when I don't read all the, the chapters that are given to me that day. Um, and I remember my first time getting saved, I, I went through the, the Bible rather quickly and I just read and read and read and I, I went through it. But the second time around, I went slower. And the third time, I went even slower because I'm gaining more out of it now. I'm letting it sit and grow in my mind and in my heart. See, it's not about the speed, but the whole context from beginning to end of the Bible we need to have that whole picture because when we don't have the whole picture of what God is telling us, we start to have these weird doctrines or ideas about who God is, about the way he moves, about the way we're supposed to move. So we need to be steadfast in our word. Now, they also continued steadfastly in fellowship. One of the reasons why we're called Redeemed Church Fellowship is because we believe in the gathering together of the saints. That's us. That's you and me. You see, this whole online thing right now with COVID and doing church online, that's great. I mean, God is using it mightily, and I, and I thank God for it. 
He's allowed us to, to grow and to improve. But the church is gathering together fellowship. That's one of the main pillars of what church ministry is, is gathering together. And when we're separated by technology, there is definitely a hindrance in fellowship. So there needs to be that coming together. The women you guys meet on Friday nights and you guys do Bible studies with one, one another over Zoom right now, it's awesome. I'm excited for now the restaurants are opening. Why? Because now maybe we're going to start meeting together again. Even the guys, we were doing that together and then the whole COVID-19 thing made us separated. But I want to start meeting again. I want to start planning to get together and having that fellowship because this is how we grow. Is by getting to know one another, by praying for one another, by loving on one another in that fellowship. When you're looking at someone in the eye and having that conversation with them, it's much different than when you're online arguing with, with them on Facebook. But that dialogue, that conversation, loving on people. So fellowship is important. It's huge. And fellowship right there, it's coupled with the breaking of bread. One of my favorites. One of the favorite pillars of church is to actually eat together. You see, when the Jews, they used to eat with one another as they split this bread and began to dip it in whatever was in front of them, the sauces and whatnot. They began to literally see it as the molecules and that are a part of that bread, which were one piece, are now in you and they're now in me and we are now one together. So they saw breaking bread as something that was extremely intimate. And they're very hospitable. They were supposed to be a room in their houses so that they could invite someone in so that they could stay with them, put them up for a night and feed them to dine with them. So this is also important. So I'm like, hey, all right, restaurants are coming back. We'll be back there. And lastly, and in prayers. See, prayer is so important in the believer's life. It's how we communicate with God. When we pray, we, we send our petitions to the Lord, but we also wait on God. We wait upon whether we're supposed to move forward, to stay for his direction. There's so much striving in our own self, our own human flesh, when we begin to act without praying. You see, when we first don't go to prayer, we try to do things on our own. And when we try to do things on our own and in our own strength and our own might, a lot of times when the Holy Spirit's not empowering us to do something, we end up frustrated. We end up failing. We end up just being mad and upset about the work that we're doing. So that's why prayer is important to lead and guide us into what we're really called to do. And I know it's something that it's, it's tasking to be able to, to stop and to wait upon God 
to be able to put all distractions aside and ask God what you want me to do. Sometimes it's hard. Our mind's going a thousand different places. So we have to ask God by the Holy Spirit to help us to focus on him. And there's so many different ways we could do that. If right now you feel like you're in a season of, of dryness where your, your prayer, your reading, it's been kind of dry. You haven't really been gaining as much from the word and from prayer. I would recommend you then to uh, take some time and, and get away with the Lord. However that looks, whenever it, you can, whether it's driving to work, whether it's just taking a, a morning and getting alone, go to Denny's and read the Bible and get some coffee by yourself if you need to. But allow yourself to have that fire just rekindled in your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that for you. So all these things right here, these four great practices must be applied to the church, must be applied to our lives. To continue steadfastly in the word, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. So we get our model right here for the church. Now in verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Wow, you see that they're starting to see God work and they realize it's from him. And in verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So you see here, there was this sort of community where they were being able to love upon one another and to give to one another in this community because they cared for one another. And in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you see their focus is, was, was love amongst the brethren. And sometimes it's in the church that we find it difficult to be loving towards one another. But this is what God had in mind for them. So now as they're all there steadfastly together, they're in unity, eating their food with simplicity of heart. Let's not get too complicated. One of the, the greatest lessons I learned as uh, someone was explaining to me how to teach the Bible is they said, use the, the KISS method. And I was like, well, the KISS method? And they're like, yeah, keep it simple, stupid. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> I could do that. Keep it simple. Now, that's what they were doing. Simplicity of heart. We could get really complicated with what's going on in our world right now. And we could get complicated with a lot of things that we really don't know about. But let's keep it simple. 
loved ones. <laughs> Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So does it say that Peter created his uh, five-step program of church growth right here to add to the church? Did it say that Peter began to uh, witness and evangelize uh, out in the streets so that people could be added to the church daily? No, I didn't say any of that. It said the Lord added to the church daily. So it's God who adds to the church. So if God desires to bring more people to a church, may we be available for him to use us, but may we not cater to programs and to methods of social success and, and means of just simply gaining growth and finances and people in a, in a church from the, the selfish earthly perspective. But may we say and pray, God, may you bring whoever you desire. Use us on however you would like to do that. But may it not be our own fleshly driven lifestyle that brings people here, but may it be the Holy Spirit just simply using you. And I pray that you guys would be used this week as you continue now in those four principles to give people the gospel, be filled with the Spirit as you're doing so, to continue, to continue steadfastly in the Word of God, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Well, this has been one of my favorite chapters that we've read, and I am um, blessed to see that it's happening in, in, in your guys' lives. I'm blessed to see you guys growing and learning and, and just taking in where the Holy Spirit is leading you. And myself, I'm, I'm blessed to see the Holy Spirit do, in my, do it in my life. And we know he has plans for us for good. That we can praise God even in trials and in seasons of of confusion because we know we have hope in him. He's bringing us to a new day where there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, but rejoicing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We praise you and we thank you. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would, Father, just forgive us for our sins you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. I pray that you would lead and guide, Father, these desires that we have, Lord God, to, to serve you, to be used by you, Father. May you open doors for us, Lord God, to, to draw closer to you, Lord, to be used in other people's lives. Father, just bless these people. May they be on fire for you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Falling from the clouds A strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and the rain It's ringing in the skies Like cannons in the night The music of the universe plays Singing Stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me forever. My heart will sing of how great all glory, honor, power is yours. Amen. All glory, honor, power is yours. Amen. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me forever. My heart will sing of how great you are. Be blessed this week. You go forth. Holy Spirit's name, in Jesus' name.